Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. So Jesus said, John chapter 13, a new command I give you. Love one another as, would you read the rest, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, we would like to say, what do you mean a new command? It doesn't sound like a new command at all. But the disciples were living in a time where the spillover from an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was still the way that they lived. And Jesus is talking to people like Peter, saying, Peter, I know you have issues with Matthew. I know how you think about him when no one's looking. Remember, he was God, so he would know. And Jesus says to them, I want to give you a brand new command. And I could just see Matthew and John getting their pens out, getting ready to write something down. The word new in the Greek is unexpected. It is something that is other than, it is strange. It also means remarkable. I'm giving you a remarkable command that is unexpected. It's not like the 623 Old Testament laws. It's not like the Ten Commandments that you have. This is something that I want you to grasp because it's the very thing that's going to make the church become the church. When Jesus was thinking about the church, he wasn't thinking about a place. He was thinking about a people. And this is how these people are supposed to live on on Sunday and Wednesday and Friday night and Saturday. They're going to love each other, and there's no qualifier. Love one another. And he doesn't say who the one another are. What do I mean? He, He doesn't say they're people who are just like you, who vote like you, who who have the same economic status that you have or the same education and academia that you've accomplished. He doesn't say love people who have the same color skin that you have. He doesn't even say love people that you like. He just says love one another. And if you want to know what Jesus meant when he said love one another, watch how he loved I challenge you to do a quick study, reading through the Gospels, and wherever Jesus went out of his way to love somebody and to care for them and to add value to their lives, I want you just to take note. I mean, if you really want to do a study, that will give you the information, but more than that, the insight that you need to know how Jesus has called us to love. What God thinks about when God thinks about you. What does God think about when he thinks about you? I believe Jesus is trying to say to his followers, that's how I want you to think about other people too. I want you to think about them in a, in a different way. And when they have sinned and wronged you, I want you to still love them because you will sin and you will wrong me and I still love you. And I think it's fascinating. There's only two subjects that the Bible has an entire chapter about. One is Hebrews 11, the book of the Faith Hall of Fame, you know, Moses by faith, Abraham by faith. And and then this other one is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And even though it's not a wedding, um, we are going to read it today together. 
Anybody been to a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13, ever? Yeah, four of you, so okay. Go, go to more weddings, it'll be good for you. But let's read it together, can we? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And love, 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 yeah. In other words, love will never steer you wrong. Love will never let you down. People might, but not love itself. And so Jesus told his followers, I I want you to love one another. I don't want you to to pay each other back. I don't want you to hold grudges. I don't want you to, to be hurt. Actually, the title of this message is Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. And wouldn't that be great if we could do that? To love like we've never been hurt. I, I like quotes. Here, here's, here's one. It's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Thank you, Alfred Tennyson. Knowledge is power. Francis Bacon. To err is human. To forgive, divine. Alexander Pope. And love like you've never been hurt has been attributed to uh, this particular guy right here. Anybody know who that is? Leroy Satchel Page. Leroy Satchel Page uh, said things like, work like you don't need the money, love like you've never been hurt, and dance like nobody's watching. (laughs) He also is attributed as the one who said, sing like no one is listening, and the list goes on and on. But I want to just pick on that one today, love like you've never been hurt. Now, imagine being a baseball player in the American Negro League and then making it over into the major league. And imagine if you could being the first African-American pitcher. It was one thing that the fans would go to the game to buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks and watch the game played and have to deal with their prejudice about some African-American players on the field. But standing on the mound, the pitcher's mound, that was like a righteous spot. Because you could be out in left field and stand there, but the pitcher's constantly working. And at the age of 40, are you ready for this? At the age of 40, he gets into the major league and starts pitching till the age of 60. Don't ever think you're too old. 60 years old, he pitched three innings in a major league game on that mound. At one particular game, the manager of the other team, almost in a protest to Leroy Satchel Page, brought in four of his best batters and put them in the lineup first. One, two, three, four. Now, if, if most of you know about baseball, you don't put your four best batters all together. You, you kind of space them out. You, you, you hope that this guy's going to get on base. Maybe that one's going to get on base. Then you put your, maybe in third or in fourth, maybe you put your, your best hitter to, to bring them home. Let the weaker batter set the table and let the cleanup batter come and clean the table. That's, that's kind of how my coach used to say it when I played in Little League. And boy, could I hit the ball. <clears throat> In my memory, I can anyway. And 
And so Satchel Paige turned around. He, he saw the four top batters of the other team lined up against the fence, and they were staring him down. And he called to his outfielders and said, guys, sit down on the grass. He called to his infield and said, guys, sit on the bags. And he struck out the first three batters. They were out. Next inning came. He struck out the fourth guy. Pretty cool. And he was asked how he put up with the jeering, how he put up with the, with the, the prejudice, with the comments, with the hurtful statements made to him over and over again. One reporter said, how do you feel about that? And he said, you've got to love people. You've got to love like you've never been hurt. I'm not going to allow the hurt from the people in the crowd to impact the way I love other people. That's pretty good. Actually, that's great theology. Because all of us have been hurt at some point, and the majority of trouble is caused by ourselves and the people in our lives, but also our inability to move forward. We get hurt, we get stuck. Anybody know what that is? Somebody offends us, somebody hurts us, somebody doesn't invite us to the party, somebody doesn't ask our opinion on something, somebody doesn't respond to our text or our email, uh, we, 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 we get hurt. But I think of the stories in the Bible, there's, there's one in particular, you know it well, it's the story of Joseph, and his brothers are hurtful, his brothers are hateful, and they sell him into slavery, they throw him into the, the pit. And there is then, fast forwarding the story, there's famine in the land, the brothers come, but now Joseph has gone from the pit to the palace, he has the keys of the kingdom, he has the keys of the warehouse, there is corn galore, even while there's famine in the land, his brothers come before him, and it would be easy, and many of us would say, deserves you right, for him to say, go and starve. Actually, in Genesis 50, his brothers come to him in verse 18 and throw themselves down before him. And they say, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I think that's a valuable lesson. Has God put us in the place of judgment? Are we now on the throne of God? We get to call the shots for all humanity? And Joseph says, even though I'm in a place of authority now, even though I'm in a place in the palace, even though I could crush you like mosquitoes, I choose to bless you. You intended to harm me. You intended to hurt me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I just have asked this question when I read this passage, would I have done the same thing? Would I have loved like I'd never been hurt before? The first thing I, I want to just have you write this down, love, love God like never before. Because if you don't love God like never before, you can't rise above the hurt in your life. You can't rise above the offenses in your life. You can't rise above the pain of life and love other people well. Jesus is our way to God and God is our source of power and grace and mercy and love. If you love God most, then you will love others best. 
And so here's just a little, little stop for a moment to ask the question, how's your love life? How, how are you when it comes to loving people? I just said, how's your love life? And three guys took their mind down the hallway. And yeah, I'm, I'm talking about how well we love each other. How well we live the command of Jesus to love one another. And I'm just going to challenge you. If your love tank is low towards your family and your friends, towards your fellow believers, then most likely you're not spending enough time with God. Because when you spend more time with God, who is love, more time in the scriptures, more time meditating on what you read, more time journaling what God gives you, more time just being still and know that he is God. If you're not doing those things, you're not going to have the fuel and the energy and the capacity to love people. Because here's what I know about people. People are misguided, people are selfish, and people will hurt you. That's what I know about people. And you know what? I'm exactly right. You can't debate with me on that. I mean, just, just the attacks that people make on people today. And it's almost like we have a license to attack other people, to get on social media and just grind out our differences and to just be mad and mean. And, but I've got this Savior who says, would you just love people? Love one another. When we encounter Jesus, not just the historical figure who died on the cross, not just the Jesus of the Bible, in the Bible, but the Jesus of the Bible who gets inside of us, the Holy Spirit who brings him alive into our lives. If we love God with all our heart, then we have the ability to love our neighbor as ourself and even beyond. If God is not the love of your life, then there's no way that you will truly be able to love those people you call the love of your life. And, and, and I just imagine Jesus being a marriage counselor. This would be so cool. A couple would come in bickering and arguing over small stuff, and Jesus would say, quit it. Go home and love one another. Amen. And he would send them on their way. And he would. I, I think he would talk about the cross. I think he would talk about loving people that have hurt you. I, I think he would remind them of... John the Beloved, who wrote in 1 John 4, 7, 8, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from where? From God. So that's why we want to love God like never before, because the more you love God like never before, the more you're going to have the capacity, the energy, the fuel to love other people. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so in the church at large, relegates itself to being a place rather than being a people, it will fight for the place. It will become political. It will be concerned with the color of the carpet more than the worship of Jesus. It will be concerned more with the length of the sermon or what songs the band picked or rather than the fact that we get to see each other and be together today. Hey, we made it one more week. Look, look, look around. These people lasted one more week. Yay! They're still here. They still love God. And those that aren't here went away for a three-day break. I mean, that's cool. That's cool, too. God bless you as you pay those great fuel prices that we have. <laughs> May he provide for you abundantly. See, love 
is the fundamental part of God's nature. And that's why the more you're with him, the more you love. We love 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us. So while I'm reading and while I'm studying, I'm looking up passages on love and 2 Timothy pops up on my screen. And I wasn't going to share it this morning. But he says, I want you to mark this. There's, there's places in the Bible where it says, mark this, get this down, lock this in. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. You think Paul knew about California in 2018? This is the land I live in. I know some of you have come to me and said, these are the last days, Pastor. I got an email from somebody recently. I've been studying. I think everything's lined up right in Jerusalem and Israel and you know, Russia and Armageddon. And these are the last days, Pastor Bernie. I, oh, okay. Maybe they're right. But I think when Paul talks to his young son in the faith, he says, look, you, you mark this down. You'll know when the end time's coming because people will be lovers of themselves. I don't think there's been any time in my lifetime where people have been more lovers of themselves than now. And I read that word abusive. Are you kidding me? Disobedient to parents? Yeah. Kids who say, I'm not going to clean my room. What are you going to do about it? Going to call the police? By the way, you laugh. You could laugh if you want. I've been on ride-alongs with our cops where parents call the police to come and make the kids clean up their room. <laughs> or the mom who calls the cop. I love this. This is cool. The cop that I'm with is single. He has no kids. And he's telling little 16-year-old Johnny why Johnny needs to go to school because it's the law. Because the parents have lost total control of Johnny. So me, me, chaplain guy, right? As we're walking out of the house, I say to Johnny, hey, Johnny, what's up? He goes, my parents, they're the problem. And Johnny was right. <laughs> the reason Johnny was disobedient to his parents because his parents were disobedient to God. They were lousy kids themselves. Well, that would preach, wouldn't it? They're, they're right? Mom and dad are the sons and daughters of God. They're disobedient to God. And this kid is saying, my parents are lousy parents. Pastor, he has no right to say that. No, he's just right. Johnny's a doofus because his parents are Mr. and Mrs. Doofus. They're not bringing God in their house. They're not living after godly principles. They're not even investing time in Johnny. But first thing, we're calling 911. What's your emergency? My kid won't go to school. I just thought I should let you know this. This is an inside story on our local law enforcement. It happens all the time. Yeah. Susie won't clean her room. Please come. Put her in handcuffs. You think I'm kidding? This is true. I've been there. People will be ungrateful. People will be unholy. People will be without love. And there's Jesus. He's beaten. He's afflicted. He's wounded. He's bruised, which is another word for hurt. And he lifts his voice and he offers forgiveness to people who never ask to be forgiven. 
Read the scriptures. People are not saying around the cross, gambling for his garments, putting a spear in his side, putting a crown of thorns on his head, spitting upon him, saying, oh, would you forgive us? No, he just says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's the model for our love. See, forgiveness can't change the past, but it can rewrite your future. It can rewrite your future. Let me tell you about a pastor friend of mine named Mark. Without a doubt, one of the finest pastors I've ever met in my life. I want to grow up and be like him someday. Mark's son took off from home. They weren't sure where he was, but they got word through a friend of their son that he was somewhere living on the streets of Hollywood. And uh, Mark, who lived in Glendale, would would drive over um, three nights a week and for five hours each of those nights look for his son. He had pictures of his son and he and a couple of the brothers in the church would go with him and he would go up to people that were shooting heroin or making a heroin syrup and dipping their joint into it and smoking it. And by the way, I'm not, this is not an attack on anybody's lifestyle. I'm just telling you about Mark. And sometimes he would wander into a old shack or shed that was now turned into a crack house and Has anybody seen my son? And so Mark spent an entire year looking for his boy, and he finds out later that sometimes his boy would actually see his car and go hide. But one night, one night Mark encountered his son in an alley about to take some drugs, and Mark just embraced his boy and said, I sure love you, son. I sure love you. And got him into the car and said, there's nothing you have done or could ever do that would stop my love. Now, let me just just tell you, I mean, that story, I'm giving you the condensed version, moves me because during that year, I had the privilege of praying for my friend Mark and encouraging him. And he said, you know, I don't want to be like the prodigal son story. I don't want to wait at the end of my driveway for my boy to come home. I want to go find my boy. And I want to spend the time that I have and am able to have to go find my boy. See, the the, the saddest thing, there are people who live in the city of Lompoc who have family members who live in the city of Lompoc and they don't even see each other. I I have talked with parents before and uh, this one story, the the young man lives uh, five minutes from them and they don't want to see him because... They fold their arms and they say, our son deserves respect. He needs respect. He needs to come and and make amends with us until he comes to our house. And I said, well, what if he never comes? I said, go see your boy. Oh, over my dead body, said the father. I go, okay, well, I guess that's maybe when your boy will see you. If you're not going to go, there are people who are, are within five minutes, 10 minutes, of someone that they love or have loved in the past. And then we can say all day, look, 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 look. We we don't need to love people, but Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ came for us. He didn't wait for us to finally recognize how great God was. He came to this earth while we were still sinners. 
For, for me, that's the impetus to not wait for someone to come, but for us to go to them. Now, you, you might want to say this because it's, it's, it's good. I may not agree with your lifestyle, but I will love you. I may not approve everything you're doing, but as long as you live your mind, and I will love you. I may not aid and abet you or finance your lifestyle if you choose to go that route, but nothing's going to stop me from calling you and talking to you and like my friend Mark, trying to find you. Mark didn't finance his son's drug habit. Mark just made sure he was close to God so he could love his son and look for his son. I'm going to keep loving you. See, the ultimate question is this Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? How many of you know that the, the law said three times? So you know, Peter doubles it. Three plus three is six. He adds one, seven, you know. And Jesus comes back and says, um, not seven times, but 77 times. I mean, here's Peter saying, what is the mathematical formula for forgiveness? How many times do I have to do this? Now, many of you know that some people believe that Jesus said seven times 70, which would be 490. And some other scholars have said it was Jesus saying it's seven to the 70th power. Do your math, it's a million and change. In other words, there's no number on it. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody has ripped you off, abused you, molested you, that you put yourself back in that situation. That's not what I'm saying. But what Jesus is saying is there's nothing, there's nothing that's gone too far that you should not forgive because there's nothing in your life that's gone too far that I've not been able to forgive. So, number two, I know your pens are waiting to write more down. Forgive like never before. Why? Because Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. That's Luke 23. And nobody said, please forgive me, Jesus. Nobody. See, forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Good morning. Aren't you glad you came today? See, and forgiveness is not only for big stuff. It's for little stuff. We just, just extend forgiveness. See, sometimes it takes the worst things done to you to bring out the best things in you. And, and why should we forgive others? I mean, let's, let's, let's ask the question, why should we forgive others? Because we forgive those who hurt you because God has forgiven you. And I just wonder, I just, just wonder how many of you are holding grudges and holding hurt from the past that you just need to let go just, just give it to him. I can't. My little pretties, I can't let it go. I'm melting. Just let it go. Just let it go. Colossians 3.13, remember the Lord, what does it say? Forgave you. So you, <clears throat> not a suggestion, you must forgive others. Why? Because he forgave you. All you do is extend the forgiveness that you receive from the Lord to others. Why? Because if you don't forgive those, resentment's going to come in. And when resentment comes in, it will control you. It will control you. Forgive those who hurt you because resentment will take over your life. It will control you inch by inch. And I know what resentment does because I've had it in my life before too. For only five minutes, but I've had it before and... It starts to rewrite the story. 
and justify your feelings. It changes data. It changes information. It changes history. I'm going to have resentment in my heart. Don't. Life is too short to resent people. Ecclesiastes 7.9. Here's a good one for you. Let's read it. Only get angry quickly and hold a grudge. Only fools. I don't want to be a fool. We get angry quickly and we hold a, judge, a grudge against someone. Your, your past trauma becomes your present day drama. See, forgive those who hurt you because you're going to need more forgiveness in the future. Now, I'm going to give you a verse here. I don't like this verse. I wish it wasn't in the Bible. I'm sorry. Matthew 6, Jesus talking. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Are you kidding me? Jesus seems to imply, you, you scholars help me with this, Jesus seems to imply that, that God's ready to forgive us, but, but we need to forgive others so he can pour out forgiveness to us. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Don't you love the hard sayings of Jesus? No. <laughs> but Lord, don't you know what they did to me? Weren't you there when they said that? Weren't you? Lord, don't you know what they did to me? And Jesus says, don't you remember what you've done to me? Don't you remember how I died on a cross for you? And does anybody want to just say, yikes, I don't, this is big. This is huge. And that's why I bring you to the last point. Love others like never before. Love others as though You've never been hurt. Ephesians 3.17, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. I, I was so grateful for the old song this morning, what love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called as sons and daughters precious in his sight. Oh God, thank you for loving me. May my life go deep into the soil of God's marvelous love for in all things. True story. Very recent story. Not somebody in this church. The girl has just turned 17 years of age. And I don't know how this happens. I just know it does. She's 17 years of age. The hospital calls her mother. And says, your daughter just gave birth to a little baby girl. Mom did not know her daughter was pregnant. How you doing? Mom and dad are very involved in their church. They're elders in their church. And now they're processing driving to Cottage Hospital. They're not sure if they should go. Because the father is a kid that they thought the daughter had broken up with. They didn't know that they got back together and spent the night together. Mom and dad are thinking about how do we face our church. Interesting, that was the first thing they were concerned about. How will we face our church community where Jesus said, love one another? What will they say? We're elders in the church. Will we be de-elderized? De what will happen to us? But what that 17-year-old girl needed was her mama 
to come and hold her and teach her how to change diapers and talk to her about postpartum depression. I don't know about it, but I've read about it. And talk to her about, excuse me for being blunt, talk to her about breastfeeding and all that stuff that mamas know to tell new mamas. And I will just tell you this because um, I got involved in the situation because uh, the, the, the dad of the girl asked me what he should do and, and I thought of my friend Mark who went and found his little boy in Hollywood. I said, um, you go and hug your daughter and tell her these words. No matter what you've done, no matter what happens, you're my little girl and I will love you my entire life. He said, now what do I do to the guy? <laughs> I said, well, call me up. I got some friends, we'll do a little tune-up. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I said, you put your arm around him and you tell him you'll help him be a father. You pray with him. You lay hands on your brand new granddaughter and you ask God to keep her from evil and harm. That's how I pray over people when we dedicate them and we baptize them in the next service. I'll pray that same prayer. Keep them full of the Holy Spirit, away from evil and harm. Help them to live for your exclusive, exclusive use. And that's what I told this man to pray as he was calling me on his cell phone in the parking lot at Cottage Hospital. He says, you know, I want to punch the kid out, you know. I said, yeah. You ever think God wants to punch you out? Come on. Well, well, God's merciful. That's right. That's why you don't get punched out. Come on. And I just want to report to you. They're having their speed bumps, but... I got a call two days later from this gentleman and he said, um, you don't know how powerful it was when I hung that young man and said, I'm going to help you be a father because he doesn't have a dad. He doesn't know he's about to graduate high school. He has no income. I said, well, glad you do. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, you know, in a few weeks, I'm going to be talking about rising above and how we love people. And can I use your story? He said, as long as you don't put our pictures on your screen. <laughs> I've been to your church before and seen you have these big screens. I said, I promise we won't. But can I use your story to impact people? Maybe love their family members, even if their family members are doing things counter to what they would choose to do. By the way, my, my friend Mark, his son is on their church staff. He now counsels other young people who are struggling with drug addiction and always tells this story. I'm this way because my dad wouldn't stop loving me, even though I hurt him. Mm. That's a sermon. Now we got to go live it. 
Love one another. And love like you've never been hurt. I'm going to read this scripture as our close benediction this morning. 1 Peter 1, 21 and 22. It says, through him, through Jesus, you believe in God. Who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are now in God. And now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.